I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And this is the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. And today we're talking about our favorites. And that is our top five favorite JRPGs of all time. From PS1. From PS1. Yeah. <laughs> I should have stated that, forgot about it. I was just thinking RPGs. I was just too excited about it. But yeah, we're going to stick to the original PlayStation. Tons of good RPGs for this system. A lot of good ports of Super Nintendo games as well, especially the Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger series. I shouldn't say Chrono Trigger series. <laughs> yeah. only, only really one Just game. Just Chrono Trigger. Yeah, we, we spent a, a good amount of time going over our list trying to come up with some of our some of our classics. And I know I, for one, had a hard time actually figure out, figuring out my top five. My top three were pretty simple, but trying to figure out uh, a list of five from probably about ten that I find pretty pretty memorable from those days was kind of tough. Yeah, there was definitely, I had to go back and just uh, take a look at the shelf and then go back and consider, okay, what was the most fun? What do I remember a lot about? Because some of them I remember having good memories, but I don't honestly remember a lot about the game. Yeah, you know, I had I had that situation too. Where I was like, yeah, I remember that being cool, but I don't know if I could put that into words right now. I had to do a little bit of research to kind of get myself back up to speed. But also when I was thinking back to him, I was like, I really liked that game. I remember having very fond memories of it, but I don't know if I want to go back and play it. And if I had one that I figured, hey, I either go play it a lot, I go back and play it a lot, or I want to, that bumped it up my list. Yeah, I mean, if you're still thinking, like, that would be sweet to go back and play right now, like, if I had just, you know, a ton of time and didn't have, you know, any commitments or work or anything or family, be like, heck yeah, let's just play this right now. If it's one of those, yeah, that's kind of what made stuff climb up my list. Yeah, spoiler alert, Chuck doesn't play RPGs twice normally. That's true, unless your memory card gets erased because you bought a super cheap memory card that... It's supposed to have like 27 gigs on it in 1998, and it got erased in my place because who knows why. Yeah, I think it lasted a good year. Which is impressive for one of those off-brand memory cards that were like multi-slot memory cards. Yes. Yeah, some of the games on this list did get affected. <laughs> and they got replayed again for sure. Yeah, I, guess right, we should, uh, I was oh, going to go say ahead. just name a couple um, ground rules we laid out. Um, we only wanted to use one game from a series, because I know, like, you're a you're a huge Wild Arms fan. I'm sure you would have um, probably multiple entries, and same with the Final Fantasy series. is obviously huge on PlayStation, so we limited it to where we couldn't have, you know, Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 take up three spots. We wanted to give um, a lot of franchises some love. But our fans would know better. Well, 9 is not going to be on there, because 9 just sucks in comparison. Correct. <laughs> all right. Well, go ahead then. Do you have any other ground rules, or is that pretty much it? That's all I, I think that was, I think that's you about it. Unless you, unless you want to throw some other ones out here right now. No, that'll work. And I actually think we're going to. Um, I've got some some special shout-outs for games that I'm going to save until the end. I think. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to start with shout-outs. Some of mine right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I put a lot of time into, like you were saying earlier, the ports of some games, which. Um, was the, PlayStation was actually the first time I had a chance to play um, Chrono Trigger, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And uh, I didn't get a chance to get the Super Nintendo version because I was pretty young back then, and the game, you know, was mighty hard to find, and by that point, really expensive. 
So when uh, Final Fantasy Chronicles came out with uh, Final Fantasy IV and Chrono Trigger in 2001, that was probably, I'd say that was definitely my game of the year that year, and I put the most time in the, especially Chrono Trigger. I know I um, ended up getting all the endings. There was 12 at the time, 13 now with the DS one that's out. And a uh, fun fact here, um, for a high school Brit Lit class, I actually wrote a review on Chrono Trigger that's still up on Game FAQs today, so everybody can check that out. Nicely done. But yeah, I mean, Chrono Trigger is maybe the best RPG of all time, and just my uh, humble opinion here. But yeah, everything about it just clicks perfectly, and my gosh, anyone who hasn't played that game needs to experience it, find it on DS even the crappy Steam version, anywhere you can find it these days, the original Super Nintendo, even the the PlayStation version does suffer some uh, from some load times. It takes a little bit longer, but that didn't stop me. I freaking still love that game and um, go back and play it at least, at least once a year for sure, still to this day. Nice. I didn't know you played it that often, but I, I knew it was probably your favorite RPG of all time. It's up there with Donkey Kong Country status is like, must play every year. Well, good thing it's short. <laughs> yeah, otherwise it wouldn't be. Yeah. Especially you can always, I could always just do a cheap New Game Plus run that takes, you know, 30 minutes if I want to and just go be Lavos at the beginning. And uh, my other shout out there be um, the Final Fantasy Anthology came out and had uh, 5 and 6 on it. And since 5 hadn't been to the U.S. before, that was the first time I got to play Final Fantasy 5, which um, has an amazing job system. Anyone who's played that game, I'm sure they're very aware of it. And it's a super underrated Final Fantasy game with the stories, nothing special, but the job system is pretty epic. I think you'd agree. Oh, yeah. Final Fantasy V is probably easily my favorite out of the first six. It's, I think for sure it has the most replayability because you can go through the game completely different each time if you want to. Yeah, and it's way better than three because three is... Nigh impossible. <laughs> you said, I was going to say, I don't know how much you played 3. Not five, much of you, probably. 5 is a fairly difficult game, uh, and I think there it does require a bit of grinding, but it, it's nowhere near as bad as 3. Well, one thing that was cool about 5, that when it came out on PlayStation there, you could actually co-op it. And I remember I co-opted it with my cousin Monk. We played, uh, I think it was like summer of 2000, I want to say. We played the crap out of Final Fantasy 5, and he was a dude that, Never really played RPGs, so that was a pretty cool experience there. And to be able to play any RPG co-op is, is cool in my book. I feel like that summer we co-opted about 10 hours of Final Fantasy VI, too. <laughs> we definitely did. <laughs> we didn't make it all the way through, though. No, I, I still think to this day I haven't finished it. I finished it, like, 2008, maybe? I finally finished it? I don't know. I think it's it's definitely a good game, but I think it's overrated. It's not... As good as everyone says, but just my opinion there. And I know I there was. We, a, I think had we played it when it came out, we might feel a little different. But I'd say so because I mean, anytime that the spoiler alert, the bad guy basically wipes out everyone halfway through the game, it had to be pretty revolutionary at the time. Yeah, you know, I mean, even just like the graphics are a huge leap from five. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. And I mean, even just like the storytelling in general, even though I very much appreciate uh, Final Fantasy V's sense of humor, which is pretty yeah. pretty subtle. I guess uh, my biggest problem with Six is there was a ton of characters and no real main character, but I never really got attached to anyone, I don't think. 
Well, I think they wanted you to just, they threw a bunch of characters at the wall and just hope you get attached to a few of them. I don't know. I think they're interesting enough, but I, I do kind of agree with you on, on that. It was cool, though, that they all they all played different. Like, I remember you could, like, suplex people with um, Saban or whatever his name was, and everyone had their own gimmick, basically, which it didn't just feel like a copy and paste of, you know, just random guy, my magic user, my, you know, DPS, whatever. That was kind of nice. I think maybe the reason they couldn't really um, do the huge storytelling thing was because you weren't forced to roll with a certain group so they didn't necessarily have to have people at a certain time versus like the opera and stuff like that. Although they did make you have those scenarios where you had to have multiple parties several times, which was frustrating. <laughs> yeah, those were annoying when you didn't use a certain person much and then all of a sudden they're chucked <laughs> off in their own group and they're severely underleveled. Yeah. Yeah, but over, overall, it's still a really good game. I mean, it, yeah. it's hard to bash too many of the Final Fantasy games. For sure, even though we do we do hate on nine, but as far as RPGs go, yeah, two sucks two. too. I would say nine's better than two. Oh, for sure. I was gonna say as far as like RPGs overall go, nine is not a bad game by any means. It's just no, we don't like it like everyone else does. Right. I agree. So you got any other shoutouts? And I think just pretty much I just want to give shoutouts to some of the ports because I put probably more time into Chrono Trigger than. Um, probably any other game on this list, to be honest with you. I just didn't want to actually throw it on here since it was just a port of an SNES game, obviously. Well, I'm sure we'll do that eventually, so you could throw it at number one. Spoiler alerts. Everyone will know at that point. Yes, and the just, right. like, top ten favorite games will be somewhere on that list, so. Sure. Yeah, okay, so I'll go ahead and do a couple of my shout-outs. Uh, I didn't want to do all of them for fear to, to remove the, the excitement and the wonder of my list. First one's got to go to Zeno Gears, uh, a game that probably doesn't need entry any introduction. Uh, a SquareSoft classic from the PlayStation era, probably too epic for its own good. For me, the story was not that interesting because it was so convoluted, and especially the second disc just being walls of text because they ran out of money and time. Yeah, exactly. halfway through development, unfortunate because. The, the characters' designs, uh, the uh, the combat system, both just as your individual characters and in your mechs, which was extremely unique, and that was yeah, actually my favorite part of it. Like they did that very well. And at the time, that was like super revolutionary. No one had done um, a mech RPG, and it just it felt epic to get in the the huge gears. I guess they were called then. Yeah, but it took like 30 hours to get to that point, which was one of the problems. That's true. Yeah. I think once you got to the second disc, there were actually full dungeons that you used to do in the Gears. But um, at the beginning of the game, you just it would just be some of the boss battles you'd randomly get into them for. But overall, the game was pretty cool. The music was nice, and it was super long. It took me like 70, 80 hours to finish. I don't the think that's what... The combat system was pretty cool, too, just with the... Uh the kind of almost fighting game-like combo-based combo system. Yeah, you'd enter in uh, commands, and you'd save up, like, I think it was like AP points or something, and you'd you'd unleash, unleash special abilities. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool. I think that's one you didn't make it to the end to, though. I did not make it to the end. Yeah. I didn't I actually don't. I know I was stuck at that tournament for a long time, which isn't very far in, and I actually got past that, and then I think by the time I got past it, I'd lost interest. Yeah, I think it would be a very difficult game to go back to now. There's too much padding there. 
I definitely think it gets better towards the end outside of the the way they give off the story, but the dungeon crawling towards the end of it and getting to go into your gears whenever you want to, that was pretty fun, and customizing them and doing whatever. Sinnoh Gears was a fun game. Another one I wanted to mention uh, was the uh, Suikoden series, both one and two. Fantastic game, Suikoden 2. Probably much more beloved. You definitely hear about it more than the first one. They def they definitely uh, made a great game in uh, Suikoden 1. Uh, basically, the gist is going around, rallying up your, your band of uh, 108 party members, although not all of them get to battle with you. Some of them set up shops and things in your in your fortress or your castle. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they would they would help you out in different ways. And you could set up a party of up to six characters, equipping runes and weapons. They also had large-scale kind of warfare battles that you would wage, depending on, and you'd have advantages depending upon how many characters you'd recruit. And I would say the coolest part about it, outside of it just being overall a pretty good game, was the fact that each one of the Suikoden games allows you to transfer data over to the next, and it gives you different perks in the other games, like characters will carry over, or you'll get other benefits too. Yeah, one thing that um, I thought at the time was kind of a knock on the first Suikoden was, it's. I think I beat it in like 12 to 15 hours. That's pretty fast. Um Probably takes about 30 hours to do everything in the game. Because I always tried to get all of the characters, and I, I went through it twice, and I always missed one. I don't think I got every character. I think I did a, a normal buck run going through games where I just um, completely go through the main content and say, screw all the side quests. Yeah, I would say if you did that, it is a, it is a relatively short game, which is not necessarily bad. It just depends what you want to do. Uh, Suikoden 2 is considerably longer, and it's pretty much just improved in every way. The, the graphics are better, the character stories and individual characters, and definitely the main antagonist is is one of RPG legend. If you if you watch any YouTube videos about PlayStation One RPGs, <laughs> so he's a he's a real dick bag, which makes for a good villain typically. Yeah, and I actually appreciate, I would appreciate now, like, I like when RPGs, you know, in the 20, 30-hour range versus 80-hour epics, just because of time constraints these days. Time constraints, and you just want to move on to other games. Even yeah, back then, we had plenty of games, so we didn't need them <laughs> to be that long. That's true. There's so much good stuff now. I feel like I have, like, gaming ADD sometimes. No, you're not the only one, sir. All right, so let's go ahead and start our list, I think. All right, so... Number five for me would be a game that I don't think you played a whole lot of. I guess not. <laughs> and that would be Breath of Fire 3. Maybe That's I'm true. Wrong. I played it more than four. Okay. But I, I, played, I played it for a good 15, 20 hours. Okay, so you did play it for a while. That game yeah. was uh, my only knockout at the time. I never was a huge one for grinding. It was a freaking pretty grindy RPG that got hard at points. Yes, it did. But um, it was really cool. It's the first Breath of Fire game that I actually uh, had the opportunity to play. And just, it, I feel like it hit me at the right time. I got it in, I believe it was 98. I think it came out here in 97. I picked it up in 98 because um, good old Tips and Tricks magazine was had a big feature on it. And I thought it looked pretty freaking epic. And I actually played it um, a lot with my buddy Dell. We played kind of Breath of Fire 3 there for quite a few hours together, which is, Kind of weird that 
Um, I didn't typically do that with RPGs. Yeah, because but it's, it's boring. Yeah, exactly. But no, he was he was like into the characters for some reason. I don't think he typically plays RPGs. Period. So. Except Pokemon, I'd say that's about the well, extent of it. That's true. I think everyone played Pokemon, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's all true. I can really remember. Him actually playing was Pokemon. But yeah, Breath of Fire 3, the coolest thing by far to me was a system where you would, uh, you'd find random, they call them, I believe, genes throughout the game, and you could kind of fuse them together to create different dragons, and there had to be like, Freaking, I would say like 30 different combinations of dragons that you could turn your main character into, um, just based on what genes you found and which ones you picked, and and you could have ones that like didn't necessarily go together, and you could fuse ones where he would basically uh, kind of be kind of like a poison fusion or something, where like he would get fairly powerful, but it would actually kind of drain his life at the same time. But it was a really freaking cool system. You want to shed any light on that? Are you telling me that Ryu state? went Super Saiyan 3? Basically. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think here. My most memorable things about that game, I loved the graphics. It had extremely well-done, hand-drawn graphics for the character sprites. Yeah. Both the main characters and the monsters. I remember that. That was really cool. But to be honest, other than that... And, and learning the dragon abilities and things like that. There was only one thing in that game, and I think it holds true for all of the Breath of Fire games, at least one through four, is having, like, trainers that teach you skills. And maybe that was only in three. I don't know. I remember it very specifically in that one. I didn't put enough time into four to be able to tell you if it was in that one. I actually haven't played one and two, so. I played through two. I don't actually think it's in that one. That part was kind of cool, but otherwise... Well, the combat's you, I, pretty standard RPG fare. It is. The combat is actually really standard. That's not necessarily a bad thing to me. I mean, it was it was good, but it was still solid. I mean, you have your normal, you know, attack, magic, defense, and then now uh, where you can transform to a dragon, your other party members kind of have their own abilities and do their own thing. But I would say you probably don't remember the story much, do you? Because the story was actually good. No, I only remember the main character's name. And that he had, like, a little blue hat on. Yeah, so he had, like, a wicked bowl cut. So, oh, is like, that what that was? Yeah, that's, like, buck circa 1998 right there. Yeah, we were rocking the same haircut. And there was actually, there was, a like, a about a 15-year time skip in there, too. Because the beginning of the game, um, you're with a, a different, like, basically a group of bandits. And then you all got, um, at one point, you all got split up and you basically lost a huge battle and everyone got split up and then there's a huge time skip and you're kind of looking for your friends the whole time and um, there's just the the climax and showdown works out really well there because one of your friends you were looking for was basically the main bad guy now so it was a pretty cool kind of like um, chasing friends revenge type story of two best friends getting split up and being set on opposite sides of the battlefield kind of like sweet it in two yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Except I don't think your friend turned into a huge dick like he doesn't squeak it into. But no, I actually think he he changes his tune eventually. I'm sure he probably does, but didn't make yeah. it that far. Yeah, he had a ponytail. He wasn't he wasn't going to be that lame the whole time. But <laughs> yeah, no. Overall, it was a, it was a really good game. I enjoyed it. Yeah, they've actually um, got a re-release only in Europe for some reason on the PSP, which I actually picked up. Um, probably about 2010 or so. Another PSP. It's awesome. I feel like we should get sponsored by them. 
But yeah, otherwise, it hasn't really gotten any re-releases that I know of. It may be on like the on PSN or something on PS3. Can't it remember. Is. Yeah, no, yeah, it is three okay. and four. Are. Cool. Okay. Well, anyone should definitely check out Brother Fire Three and pick it up on the probably the PlayStation Store for PS3 for. I would imagine probably like eight to ten bucks. It's definitely it, worth it. It's it's either five ninety nine or nine ninety nine. That's the that's the pricing on the PS3 store. They either think it's a classic or only <laughs> worth five ninety nine. So it should be nine ninety nine, but it's hard telling. They got some strange choices going it on. It should be. Well yeah. apparently in the PlayStation store for PS4 they can sell Final Fantasy Nine for twenty two dollars somehow. Mm-hmm. That's a travesty right there. It is. I've even seen it go on sale, and I still haven't bought it. <laughs> I own right. it twice, though. I already own it on Steam and on PlayStation, though. So. I own it on PS1 and PS3, so you can't hate too much. So we're trying here. We're trying. <laughs> we're still hoping for that HD remake. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. And we're going to buy it and still not finish it. Probably. All right, well, I'll go and he- head on to my first one on my list, and that is going to be Parasite Eve, the first game. Not the second one, because I really don't like the second one very much. Yeah, I do. This is going to be one that's Catching probably... me off guard already. I, well, I always do it on that fifth one. Virtual Lawn, Parasite yeah, Eve. I got it. You got me with your Virtual Lawn of the day. Yeah, very nice. So, for anybody who doesn't know, Parasite Eve is kind of a science fiction survival horror RPG, which is very rare. I can't think of too many other ones, if if any at all, really. That's and I think about that's it. I think that's part of why I find it so intriguing, because I definitely like a creepy atmosphere, but I don't like playing survival horror games, because they're either frustrating or their controls suck. Yeah, or both. Say tank controls. Yeah. And this one, because it's on the PlayStation, it has tank-esque controls, but it has the kind of controls where you have you have that fixed background, and you kind of when the when the screen changes, you kind of have to guess which direction the game actually wants you to push. Do you keep pushing the same direction, or do you have to change it based on orientation of the camera? So it cuts to like a pre-rendered background from a different angle, and you still hit up, and your character will move to the right for some reason. Yeah. So yeah, in most most games that didn't have tank controls, they had that issue, and and this is one of them. Parasite Eve basically follows your main protagonist, Aabria, through kind of her ordeals of trying to follow. This woman at the beginning of the game who kind of transforms into this monster that hates humanity and basically tries to kill them in the most gruesome ways possible. Um, and they try to explain it with all of the, all of the science lingo you can imagine. And, and let me just state, this, this may get you excited. This is the first game I've ever played where they mentioned hemoglobin. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. Shout yeah. Out to so Mr. that's Smith. why it's number five right there. Yeah. <laughs> Eighth grade science class. Seventh, Seventh grade? grade also. Seventh grade? You had it for both. <laughs> oh, that's true. I was so fortunate. So, but the, the main thing besides that very boring story I just described that it has is the game has you exploring different parts of New York, uh, be it like zoo, museum, parks, things like that. And you're running into all of these strange, like mutated monsters that you have to defend yourself against. But the game has a combat system that is kind of, it, it's an active battle system, but you can freely move around the battlefield uh, while you're waiting for uh, your action bar to fill up. So you can dodge enemy moves or whatever you need to do. 
and then you can attack them with things called, uh, I think they're called like psi powers or something. I think that's, is that Earthbound-esque? I don't know, but you get, you know, special powers because you've come in contact with this woman with her, her crazy blood magic. And you can do that, and you can also, you can make your own weapons. Like, you, you find, like, pistols and assault rifles and things like that, and you can use, I think it's bonus points that you get after battle, and you can customize your guns. And uh, you have melee weapons, too. You, you attack enemies with that while you're, you know, running around dodging dodging moves, whatever you're doing during combat. The best way I can describe it, if anybody has played Quest 64, it's a 300% improved version of Quest 64's combat. That game wasn't... Quest 64 itself wasn't as bad as I feel like all the hate it gets, but it certainly wasn't amazing by, you know, any standard. I agree. It's probably my... It's my second favorite Nintendo 64 RPG. There's like three on the system, so... I know. (laughs) <laughs> it's not the worst. It's not Aiden Chronicles. That's right. It's definitely not Aiden's Chronicles. But yeah, I will say uh, Parasite Eve 2, it was definitely a, a mature game at the time where there weren't were a lot of mature RPGs. Most of them were kind of anime tropes, which is perfectly fine with me. I don't mind anime tropes at all, but it was definitely a lot different than everything else at the time. Was it rated mature? It should be. How it's sure it's very gruesome. Like a lot of the cinematics, which are very well done. I mean, it is a square game, so you know the the cinemas, the cinemas, <laughs> the movie theaters you're going to. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So it's really gruesome. Like some of the some of the characters, they'll like die by just like blood and their organs just like coming out of their head or their skin just kind of setting itself on fire and just eating off the person's bones. It's really gross. So I would I would imagine it's it's mature rated, but yeah it's it's a pretty serious game overall. It, they try to explain the story kind of in scientific terms as best they can, but they don't overdo it, so it's not just kind of contrived and ridiculous. Overall, I found the game mostly fun because of you know the atmosphere and the setting being really unique, and I also like the combat system. Uh, I I almost always prefer an action based combat system to a turn-based, let one of your characters attack, wait for your next character, give them a command, let them attack. And I, I just like the overall character progression and getting to customize your guns. And then at the end of the game, you also unlock... It's not necessarily a new game plus mode, but it is uh, a new level called the Chrysler Building, which is like a 77... Uh, there's 77 floors, and it's it's basically like a challenge dungeon where everything gets harder. You get all new weapons and stuff, and you can t- continue playing. So that was a that was a nice bonus. And Parasite Eve is actually a really short game. I'd say it only probably takes about six hours to play through. Wow, that's yeah. a ridiculously short RPG. Yeah, it's nice and to the point. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. So what else you got? Number four for me would go to um, the first, well, the first I played in a series that still runs strong here today, and that'd be the Tales series because I'm going to talk about Tales of Destiny, and that was the first one. It came out, I, I want to say, in '98 on, of course, PS1 there, and it was the first Tales game I played. I didn't get it until, um, until probably I think about 2002. I picked it up at a used game store uh, for super cheap, and 
it was a you know a fat case, and at that time, like a lot of RPGs were multi-disc or had huge instruction books. So anytime I saw like an an anime-looking RPG with a fat case, it was usually safe to pick that up because those games usually were right up my aisle, and they um, held their value pretty well too. So if you see one of those for cheap, you typically pick it up. And uh, Tales of Destiny, of course, if anyone's played a Tales game, they know the battle system is pretty good. I mean, it's uh, a little bit mashy. You kind of hit X and all your arts, I think, were um, through circle and circle in different directions. But at the time, having never played a Tales game before, it was pretty freaking epic. May I interject, though? I think you need to describe or maybe tell people the difference between what the Tales combat was on the PlayStation 1 as opposed to what it is now. Okay, so on PS1, everything was on a... Um, it was basically looked like a 2D side-scroller. Everything was just on one plane. And your characters were some sweet-looking uh, chibi dudes. And everything was just... They all basically were on the left. All the enemies were on the right. And you just kind of crash into each other. Versus running around in a circle or having, you know, freeform 3D. These were 2D sprite-based games, and they look pretty freaking good. No, the, the combat was easily the best part, and that's pretty much the only thing that I really remember about it, and I never played either one of the games too much. But the, the combat was fun, and it allowed you... I think you had a party of three? Or was it four? four. It was four. definitely four. And you controlled your main character, but I think you could give commands as you needed to the rest of them. Yeah, you could try and uh, you could you could you control the main character. You could switch over to other people there. I remember having to switch the healer a lot uh, if the computer was too dumb to actually heal us at the right time. But yeah, you could control everyone. Uh, you could basically put a pause to the game and switch characters and control anyone you wanted to. But yeah, typically I stayed on. Uh, Stan was the main character, and he wasn't overly memorable. I think he was uh, like a random. You know, JRPG trope, I think he was like an orphan. They ended up being like a stowaway on a ship. Was he a mute, too? Uh, honestly, I don't remember. Did I he think have amnesia? He, he did not have amnesia. That will be yeah. some other characters I'll be talking about <laughs> later on in games on this list. But uh, he found a talking sword. So he almost had to have been a mute then, because I remember the sword was, um, what's I think his name was like Daimlos or something. Cool. And, and he did all the talking for you. He was part of the the Sordians, which is like a a race of people that <laughs> used to protect the city. Yes, it's the just as Sordians. That's awesome. Daimlos of the Sordians. So yeah, he basically was this uh, smart Alex sword dude that would make all these fun quips and stuff. Yeah, the story wasn't <laughs> overly epic. You had to find the other Sordians and uh, take them down to save. Um, the kingdom of I don't even know what it was called. Kingdom, a, king, kingdom, 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 the Aether Wars or something along those lines. I remember there being like Aether Wars or Aetherians or something to do with Aether. Yeah, awesome. But the story the sounds system. legit, but yeah, but the combat was awesome. Yeah, the combat was really good, and I would argue that the. The 2D Tail series is almost, um, well, maybe I've just gotten tired of the 3D ones because uh, sometimes with the 3D combat, you can kind of, I remember you have to, like, hold down a certain button not to run in a straight path to actually uh, run in a circle. And, yeah, the 2D ones maybe was just more streamlined, but the combat was sweet. The graphics look cool, and this is probably my favorite Tails, except for I do like Vesperia better. Oh, really? 
I probably have the yeah, Vesperia is the best one by far. Definitive edition coming out uh, like December or something. Pick it up, people. But yeah, Vesperia is my favorite one. It's one of the few very good RPGs on the Xbox 360. Nice. Is it also on the PS3? Only in Japan. It was just on 360 in the U.S. Is it coming out to the PS4? Oh, well, you know it is. Well, good. Well, I was hoping it wasn't going to come to the the X-Bone. It's still coming to the X-Bone now. Hey, okay. I, need to, I need to buy something for that system, though, but I don't even think I'll get the Vesperia Definitive Edition because it probably doesn't really change anything, like all the remasters and remakes we talked about. Well, I wouldn't know. That's usually one series. I If I see it mentioned, I usually glaze over it pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been done to death now, but and I probably have a lot of nostalgia because it's the first one I played. I could be. I doubt the story holds up too well as I'm describing it to everyone on the podcast and in my head. But shout-outs to Daimlos and the Sorian, so. Nice. Well, I hope they're listening, at the very least. <laughs> Probably. Those Aether Wars, someone's got to fight them, so. That's right. But yeah, super fun game that I think people should go back and check out. Do you know, or, well, actually, I, I was, I was going to ask when that remaster comes out, but that's a remaster to a different game. <laughs> yeah, remaster to Vesperia, I think, comes out. It's either um, in December or February. For some reason, I'm thinking it's not January. So Okay, well, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to my next one then, and that is the original Grandia, which originally came out on the Sega Saturn in Japan and then got ported to the PS1 over here. And Grandia... I I was just going to cut you off there real quick. I remember looking at all the magazines at the time, and it was hyped up by... Pretty much everyone is the Final Fantasy VII killer. Well, it's a really good game, but I'm not going to give it that much. I, I played Final Fantasy VII before I played this one, which I think most people did. Yeah. It, did, say, it didn't, come out till, didn't come out until like 98 or 9 in the U.S. and for PlayStation, did it? I don't remember, to be honest with you, because I'm sure I got it four years later. At least. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, a, it was one of the... I don't know, it was probably one of the first ten games I played for my PS1. And what I remember most about Grandia, besides it having a grand length to it, I remember it being one of the longest RPGs, much like Xenogears, it was about an 80-hour haul. It had a very interesting story in the fact that it was, especially early on, it was very lighthearted, and it revolves around a bunch of children who kind of just want to go out and start their own adventures, get away from their hometown, kind of like a lot of kids do when they want to head off to college or something like that. So the kids decide to go do that, and they get caught up in this war that's going on on, like, other continents of of the world that they have never seen or been to or have even heard of. So they get caught up in this this much bigger tale. So it's kind of like... It's kind of like a very childish version of like an episode of South Park where the kids get <laughs> caught up in something just ridiculous, except it never gets that ridiculous. Or but, graphic. Or, or graphic, that's for sure. I can't think of a single graphic thing in this game, to be honest. There may be some grotesque-looking bosses, but that's about it. But it does have beautiful hand-drawn enemies and characters in battle and on the world map, and the rest of the game it has 3D backgrounds and stages but the most notable thing about Grandia in the whole series has to be the combat system. That is the best RPG combat of any JRPG. Best turn-based combat 
of any RPG, I will say that. The Grandia series, in my opinion. Yeah. It's very engaging and thought-provoking. There's there's a lot of nuance to it. It's still filled with action. It's not just all... It's not completely a thinking man's game, either. No, it's very fast-paced, but there, if you if you have the the fortitude to actually think through, like, your next steps, because when you're putting in actions for your characters, the game does stop. But you put in your actions, and then once once you're not putting in actions, the enemies and your characters are all moving simultaneously. You can tell your character to go and attack a certain enemy, but you can also tell all of your characters to go attack an enemy simultaneously. And what kind of situation this can create is you can... You can kind of stun that enemy, or if you attack him enough or use certain abilities, you can cancel out their actions. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember interrupting a lot of, like, magic and spells and stuff on bosses. and Yeah. So, I mean, you have to strategically kind of determine, like, okay, what's the most dangerous enemy on the field? Let's go ahead and get rid of them or kill all the, the easier enemies with kind of, like, AoE magic or something like that. It is, it is you know, it is a turn-based RPG at heart, but it does have a kind of three-dimensional what I want to call it, kind of making sure your your characters are in the right location kind of strategy to it. it, it it's a lot more tactical than it first appears. Yeah, there's it's basically, um, like, they're basically on a 3D plane, and if they're, like, if you just say and there's an enemy attacking one of your characters, like, they may use, like, an AoE magic that if there's other characters around them, then everyone gets hit. If there's not, then only you know, a single character gets hit, and we can't really do it justice describing it here. It's something you really need to to see and witness or even play because yeah, it's, it's really playing. unique. And I would say if you're going to try any of them, either try Grandia 1 or 2 because those are the two best in the series. The rest of them kind of tapered off a little bit. Yeah, Extreme's okay. It's just a complete dungeon grind, basically. Well, which I would is say 3 is even better than Extreme, but... Three, I was just super disappointed in because I remember the story just totally sucked, which was not very good. No, it, it wasn't great. I thought but, the I thought the combat was better in three than it, it was in extreme, but at least in extreme, I knew what, what I was getting into it was just a complete dungeon grind. So I guess I was ready for it. Yeah, it was nothing but a, a dungeon crawling, loot based experience. No, barely any story at all. Unlike the original Grandia, who has a lot of a lot of stuff going on, um, a lot of political intrigue uh, towards the second half of the game. There's a lot of text going on, so if you don't like reading a lot of your story in an RPG, Grandia may not be the best game for you. But you can skip it and still enjoy the combat. Well, Grandia too is one of well, Grandia and Grandia One also is one of the the best examples of an RPG of your characters actually feeling like they're progressing and growing is characters, like you said, starting out as, like, innocent kids and by the end, like, full-blown heroes, basically. Yes, both in the scope of the story and in their combat prowess. Each one of your characters learns, you know, unique abilities, like most RPGs, that are kind of unique to each one of them and the kinds of weapons they use. But it also had an interesting, interesting magic system where you would take these, like, mana eggs and equip them to your characters, and they would allow your characters to use certain elemental abilities. The one thing I really didn't like about it was how it leveled up based on you using the different elements, and you would have to do a heck of a lot of grinding to get those leveled up. Back in those days, I was game to do that. Don't get me wrong. Now, I think that's probably a fault, the way they did it in the first one, and they definitely rectified it in the, the later entries. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the second one, I mean, it's my favorite of the series, but one and two are both phenomenal games. And they're being re-released, too, on the Switch coming up here. And is it later on this year? Uh, I think it might be December. Otherwise, it's it's early January, like everything Otherwise, else. it's February. <laughs> December, February, January. So. I think it is December. So yeah, yeah look forward to that. That's a that'll be a great deal, regardless of if it comes out at sixty bucks. Those are two very well made games, uh, very lengthy quality RPGs. But I have a feeling it'll probably come out for like forty bucks if they're smart. I just hope it gets a physical release too, because I would like to pick it up and not just as a digital only, mainly because Switch can hold about two games, and I'd like to actually have physical copies of stuff. Yeah, I think that. Well, we'll have to see. I don't know if I think that'll happen or not. Because if it's physical, I'll probably pick it up. If it's digital, I probably won't just because I already have both games already. So we'll see. Unless there's some sweet extras. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be, like, art. And that'll be about it. <laughs> I'm going to need more than art. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. I don't think there's any, like, international content that they're going to be adding to this stuff. There's going to be a sound test, there's going to be art, and there's going to be a soundtrack if you get the physical game. That's be about it. Well, if it's like Peacekeepers, you could change the colors of all the characters that I'm in. Otherwise, nope. That would be cool, but you know that's never going to happen again. <laughs> no developer has that much time these days. Only Jellico. What's all your right. next one? It is um, an RPG that first came out on the Sega CD back in 1994. And I picked it up, the huge, awesome collector's edition box, complete with a, a fancy pendant, like a making-of DVD or actually making a PlayStation um, 1 disc that it's not a DVD, it only runs on PS1s. Are you serious? Yeah, it's actually not a DVD. It's just a PlayStation CD. You can play it on PS1 or 2, but that's it. Huh. Well, you know, I don't know why that should surprise me, because very few things like that were ever included in games back then. So for me to even have an understanding of why that would be the case is, is pretty flawed logic on on me. What in the world? <laughs> yeah, if it's not, if it wasn't a demo disc, you didn't get extra discs with your <laughs> games back then. That's true. It didn't. It just didn't happen. It's unfortunate. But anyway, go ahead. And uh, the game I'm talking about is uh, Lunar Two Eternal Blue, and actually, I guess complete edition technically for the the PlayStation One. And this is technically like a port, but it was more of like a a remaster than a port because they up the crap out of it from the Sega CD version. And it was uh, released here in 2000, and it was done by a company that I really wish was still around because their localizations were better than anyone. And I'm sure you'll remember good old working designs. They're still doing some good work. They are. Right? No. They don't exist. <laughs> no, they are. I know. <laughs> it's like, what? What are they doing? i got to check it out. They're doing it behind your back. Yeah, no, they put out a lot of good games. PS1 and PS2 era. Yeah, if there was any weird RPG that was just kind of a, a niche thing or a Japanese RPG that wasn't a big name like a, a Final Fantasy or a, even Suikoden or something owned by a huge company, they would pick it up. I know they did the translations on um, Albert Odyssey for the Saturn and Dragon Force and uh, several PS1 RPGs that I can't think of off the top of my head. They were kind of like the original Atlas a little bit. Yeah, original Atlas are almost like uh, Nifunichi right now, too, that kind of does this guy, except they do it with strategy games. Yeah. 
But yeah, I guess they were a lot like Atlas there too, where it was a, a super hardcore crowd that supported them, and that was um, part of that contingent. And they put freaking love into their their games. I mean, you would talk to NPCs, and they'd have like three or four different things to say if you talk to them, versus just some phoned-in dialogue, and the stuff would be legitimately funny. But a uh, little, and I'll just uh, segue that into the actual story of the game here. You know, it does play on a lot of tropes for sure. Um, you're the main guy is a hero named Hero, which is just awesome right there. It's the only character I knew named Hero outside of Gundam Wing. And you're followed around by a, a cool pink cat named Ruby that's just um, basically a wisecracking character that makes fun of everyone. It's a flying cat, so that's pretty sweet. And then at the beginning of the game, you go in a cave and you find a the, one of the best anime tropes around, a girl with amnesia. I'm sure she wasn't naked. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty anime trope, too. You just that find is, randomly really anime. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think she actually had some clothes on. They probably wanted to avoid a mature rating. But, yeah, you found uh, Lucia, and she just is a super soft-spoken girl that has wicked magic that she can't control and basically just stands there, and you can't control her, and she does nothing. And you have to, obviously, you're just a, a good dude because you have to go and, and save her for no apparent reason because she has amnesia. And then you go around, and all the characters you meet, everyone has a ton of personality, probably because it's from working designs. And if anyone played the original Lunar, I actually played them out of order, but played two before one. But there's a lot of uh, backstory and um, good things for longtime fans of the series there, too. And the battle system was uh, also... A little bit by the books, but it was a little bit unique almost. It's set up like Final Fantasy, but your characters have a set movement speed and to actually um, attack enemies. You have to get up next to them and swing your sword or use magic or whatnot. So it's a little bit mix of like a traditional RPG and a strategy game because you have to take movement consideration and spacing. So it was a pretty cool system. The game... Is really freaking hard and grindy, which would be one of my only uh, knocks on it. And you can save it anywhere, so you can actually totally screw yourself over if you save right for a boss and there's no way out and you can't beat that boss. So I did that one time and almost completely quit the game, but had to restart from the beginning, which I almost never do, so you know this game had to be good. So I was probably 20 hours in at that point and uh, went back from the beginning, learned from my mistakes, and... You know, grinded a little more and got a little stronger and got through it. But yeah, I mean, the story is not overly epic, but it is extremely well told, which ends up making it one of the better stories. The battle system's fun. The characters are cool. It's uh, I feel like it gets overlooked a little bit since there hadn't been a sequel since that horrible DS game back in, like, 2004 that I was super hyped for that plays like hot garbage. Yeah, it's sad that they tried that and failed so miserably. Yeah, because that could have, like, you know, lit a fire on the series. And and the first one's been re-released. Lunar 1, the Silver Star story, has been re-released on, I think, like, DS, Game Boy Advance, PSP, PS1. But frickin' Lunar 2 only came out on um, Saturn in Japan, Sega CD, and PS1. So needs to get some more love. I agree, actually. I think... I would have been happier had they just not made the DS game and then they just been like, that's it, those two games. Because actually, those two games are pretty comparable, like, in quality. Oh, for sure, yeah. I can see why you like Eternal Blue more. 
Um, especially since you played it first. That's what I was going to say. I think it's just got the nostalgia attached to it because it's the first one I played in the series. Yeah, but I mean, like, graphically and just kind of the... Just how, like, the, the story progresses and just kind of... Yeah, just it's relatively lighthearted for the most part, too. Except yeah, for when it, major plot points are occurring. Exactly. Which is, for the most part, how I like RPGs to be. I don't like them usually super... Dark. I mean, there needs to be a, a good balance in there. Definitely needs to be some uh, menacing villains and, and dark points. But yeah, I mean, the game doesn't take itself overly seriously unless there's, you know, like you said, a major plot point going on. I think one of my favorite parts about that game was just like the enemy designs and the way they animated, and especially the bosses are very imaginative in the way that they design those. Yeah, and if anyone's ever played uh, the original Sega CD version, like they did an amazing job on the PlayStation version as far as getting everything to look just worlds better with color and textures and everything else. Like I've had the opportunity to play both versions now, and it's crazy how much better the PS1 version is than the Sega CD just looks-wise. I think they do play very similar, but it just looks... It's the way a re-release should be. Yeah, I'm sure the Saturn probably has, you know better sound quality. I would say, but that only came out in Japan, so I never got to play right. the Saturn version. Right. So, I mean, it just kind of depends upon what you're looking for. Obviously, most people, your English speakers, prefer to play it in English. Well, but I just went over really the Sega CD too. version that came out in English, so... It's way better oh, than the yeah. Sega CD versions that I was talking about. The Saturn's okay. probably on par with the PlayStation version, I would assume. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I do know that that game has a a pretty rockin' soundtrack. It does. It had a free soundtrack with that sweet uh, collector's edition, too, that I have proudly displayed on my shelf. Not to mention those little, like, paper cutouts Stands? of all the characters. Heck and, yes. And it had, like, button covers for your controller. <sighs> I thought it had little, like, rubber... I think it does thing. in there. I know it's got a map in there. It's got that uh, Lucius pendant in there. So it's it's got some cool stuff. It's cool. It's a nice little neat box. It's got that yeah, opening the flap. Velcro opening. Yeah, I loved boxes like that. Those are awesome. That and Ark the Lad collection are, I think, the two I have on PlayStation 1. And you know that, for all I know, that might be the only ones that had it. But And those are both working designs, so. Yeah. So yeah, anything yeah. else you want to say on that? No, I mean, I think it's a sweet game that more people should check out because maybe, just maybe, we can get a sequel that doesn't suck for a lunar game, which would be really freaking cool. I agree. Unfortunately, that was a series I never really got into. I did appreciate it. I must have had other stuff I was playing. I feel like that kind of hits you at the, the tail end of your JRPG playing days, for the most part. That could be. I must have been getting really into Parasite Eve. So I for those I six like, hours. I can't do this. Yeah. That's <laughs> all I had. All I had was six hours. I didn't have the 40 to 50 hours that I think that game is. Yeah, it definitely is. It's pretty freaking long. Fair enough. Well, we'll segue into my next one, which I think will probably also be another surprise. It was actually a surprise to me how high up on the list it was. I thought it would be in my top ten, but I didn't think it'd be anywhere near my top three, and that is uh, Kodelka for the PS1. Really? Yeah. This is this is one RPG that I've played through on several occasions, and I think another reason is it's it's relatively short. It's like 10 to 12 hours long, even though it has four discs, which is <laughs> annoying. I, I'm assuming it's all of the 
you know, the cinematics, but it's very strange. Games like Final Fantasy have a lot more cinematics than even this game. I guess they just wanted to be cool. I mean, it was pretty epic back in the day. If your game had four discs, it just felt epic. It did feel epic. Actually, I think the main reason, all of the dialogue's voiced. That might oh, be one okay. of the reasons. That might be it. I don't know. It could just be, like, ter- terrible compression on the audio files. It, it's hard telling, though. But regardless, Kodelka is was the kind of, like, the forefather to the Shadow Hearts series. It's actually the first game. I didn't know if you knew that. I'd heard that at some point, but I've actually never played any of those, so I didn't even think about it or remember it. Those are pretty cool games, but That's they don't... I've heard. But I... They aren't as, I don't enjoy them as much as I enjoy this one, uh, because they're not quite as dark and ominous as this one is. Kodoka plays very much like a survival horror game, kind of like Parasite Eve does, but it does have a more standard combat system, a more of a standard RPG combat system. You got three party members, but it has like a tactical grid system, which I know is going to surprise you that I like that. Yeah, so earlier you said you didn't really like survival horror games a lot, and I know you don't like tactical RPGs in Kodalka's number two. <laughs> number three, first Number off. three, my bad. Yeah, but apparently I really like survival horror RPGs. Apparently, once those are mixed together, then that's just, that's your cup of tea right there. Uh, it, it, yeah, well, I really like just like the atmosphere and just, I like exploring creepy buildings. And just seeing strange, strange monstrosities come out of, come out of the woodwork, and then I fight them in really, really slow turn-based combat. Now, selling it hard. (laughs) I know, I know. It's very strange. But the combat system is kind of, I want to say it's like a, it's like a 20 by 20 grid. You have your three characters and the enemies, and you, each character can move a certain amount of, of uh, squares and for like melee attacks obviously you have to be next to them and then magic and you also have guns uh, can attack from range so it's a little bit actually like Lunar we just talked about a little bit except the combat's not as good the combat's very different though too you obviously do have to position your character but you you can actually fine tune where you move them I I felt like in Lunar didn't you kind of just like tell them to attack an enemy, but if they didn't quite make it to the enemy, they just couldn't attack him? Or could you actually tell them to move to a particular spot? No, you couldn't tell them to move. You'd say, attack Bob over there, and he would, like, move three feet toward Bob, who is 30 feet away, and just stop. You see, Bob's not in Kodelka, and I think that's why I like it so much. Could be, I don't know. But who knows. But anyway, the combat system, you move around, you, you kill the enemies, but it also has this sweet Breath of the Wild system where your weapons break. So that's where this where part of the survival horror aspect comes in. But I think it actually works really well in this game. Unlike so, Breath of the Wild? No, I think this works better than it did in Breath of the Wild, to be honest with you. But so each of your characters, as they use different types of weapons, be it like daggers, swords, guns, they like level up their proficiency. Part of the strategy is is keeping certain types of weapons and leveling up Preferably all the different type of weapon proficiencies in case your weapons break. That way you have backups to go with. Okay. And enemies I mean, are... I just, I just don't think weapons should break, period, in, in anything unless you're using, like, a stick or, like, a first-generation Xbox 360 or PS3 that just broke and died. Other than that, like, weapons should not break. I do not disagree with you at all. <laughs> but I feel like this is, this is the only game where I appreciate it. Okay. 
But anyway, like the RPG mechanics are kind of, you just get your, you kill enemies, get experience, you level up, but you can also apply points to your different statistics. So when you level up, you can customize your character. You can make one who's uh, a brute tank, one's a, you know, kind of all around or magic user, whatever. And as I said, your proficiencies go up and that's the same way with magic. You use magic more, it levels up. So I appreciate the customization that it allows you, but it's mostly just the atmosphere going around this, um, I'm trying to remember what exactly you explore. It's this big old monastery, and basically your main character, Kodelka, at the beginning of the game is trying to break in into it. She knows something about this monastery that the character, or the player doesn't know yet. And you assume she kind of looks like a thief at the beginning. And you kind of, you go in there and you meet one of the other characters and you have, he's kind of, I consider him just kind of like a drunk explorer type. He's not drunk, but he's just kind of just like this guy you would imagine just sitting in a tavern all day. And then you also meet a priest, which is one of the first games where you meet a priest that you can give him a gun. It seems pretty interesting. Nice. So it's like yeah. the dude from Trigun. Yeah, kind of. Actually, I forgot about him. He was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. He's not that cool. This guy's not that cool. Dang it. Yeah, I know. Frustrating. I'm really, I'm really not talking good sugar on this game. I'm gonna Actually, say. Well, it, it does sound, it sounds way more interesting. A lot of them I've had on here are kind of stereotypical, and a lot of yours have been uh, more unique. So it's good to get both sides of the spectrum. I, I agree, and I think that's part of why I really like it. I remember the story and the exploration is really cool, and it has that PS1 issue. I don't know if you remember this, and a lot of PS1 era RPGs. You gotta go area humping to find items. You walk around <laughs> the edge of a stage just like tapping X to find an item. Oh, gosh. I remember that. Very oh, frustrating. Yeah. This was before they invented like code in video games, which like highlighted items that you could yeah. pick up. Yeah, there'd be like that little. Uh, I, at least they should give that little sparkle if something was hidden, so you'd kind of know. Like every three seconds, it would just uh, kind of oh, glimmer there. Oh, they do though. This is what they do. In the instruction manual, the developer says, oh, your main character will turn their head slightly when they see something of interest. This game is so dark, and your character is dressed all in black. It's very hard to see something that might <laughs> occur. So they, they do that, but it doesn't really help. And one of the, and the problem with that in this game, much like any survival horror game, is you have to find items. You have to find keys, different things like that to solve puzzles to progress. And if you don't find them, you're going to be, like, infinitely stuck. And the biggest difference between this and a survival horror game is random battles. So that can get frustrating if you're stuck and try, just running around, backtracking, trying to find stuff. That could be frustrating to someone who, first off, doesn't like random battles, and second off, can't stand how slow these, these battles can be. You're looking at probably one- to two-minute battles, and I will admit they're there is a lot of wasted time between animations, which is frustrating. But I like the combat and the atmosphere of the game, kind of the over the overarching plot that, you know, it's it's got all the kind of like all the mystery of going into this this monastery and just kind of like meeting the the inhabitants. They seem nice, but they don't turn out to be what you actually think they are, so they kind of screw you over. Stuff like that. You really don't know anything about the game until you progress through it. So you don't actually know why you're playing it. Yeah, it throws you an atmosphere, and you just have to kind of figure things out. 
Yeah, it's a, it's immediately interesting, and I mean, like the, the second room you're in, it's it's just kind of like a Resident Evil game. You find a you find a pistol and a zombie attacks you, and then you're just like, "Well, this is strange. I wasn't expecting that. What's going to be around the next corner?" So that's mainly why I find it interesting. You know, for a game like that, ten to twelve hours uh, is a good amount of time for it to play, even though every two hours you're going to be switching discs like a mofo. <laughs> yeah. Very frustrating. I like that game a lot, and I suggest anybody who... I would imagine a lot of people haven't heard of it, but you can get it on the PlayStation Network. I'm pretty sure it's on there. Five ninety nine. If you're uh, a big fan of the Shadow Hearts series, definitely go back and try it out, because it's a lot more... I, I would say the atmosphere is a lot darker than it was in the other ones, because I know Shadow Hearts Covenant, which is the second one, and the most beloved of the series, is a very lighthearted game with a lot of the characters. It's, a, it's really goofy, which is kind of surprising. I don't know if you played any of them at all. I think you said you didn't. No, I haven't played any of them. I definitely suggest people check it out. Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty cool. I didn't realize it was on the PlayStation Store. I might actually have to check that out. Because I think that game, what kept me from getting it before, is it was, I think, upwards of like 80 to to 100 bucks to, to get a copy otherwise. It's only 80,000 copies. It's oh. what I heard earlier today. <laughs> so it did not sell well. Apparently not. But hey, I mean, if it's gonna, you know, if it's out there and we can get it now, then heck yeah. It's worth a shot. It's worth five ninety nine. I'd imagine that's how much it is, so. Yeah, no, I, I think you should pick it up. I think you'd probably, you'd probably appreciate it. You may get frustrated with the combat system, but overall, it's pretty good. So what's your next one? Uh, number two here is gonna be a game that I, uh, first played and actually, um, didn't care for at the beginning. And it took probably two or three times playing it through to me to actually appreciate it. And I know you played the game quite a bit too. I don't even know if you ever actually beat it. I'm sure I didn't if you're questioning it. <laughs> Any idea what I'm talking about? We both put, I'd imagine, I know we both put several hours into this game. The battle system's solid. There's a lot of characters. Not Suikoden. No, the story is actually really good, but it takes a lot to get into it. There's a lot of uh, deep stuff hidden in there in connection to its prequel that I adore. You're not talking about Chrono Cross. Oh, I am. <laughs> that is a good one. I agree. I talking about Chrono Cross. And... I, for whatever reason, that one was skipping, skipping my head until you said prequel. I was like, all right. Yeah, okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love Chrono Cross. It's great. Yeah. Did you ever beat it? I couldn't remember. I don't think I actually made it to the very end. I played it for 25, 30 hours. It's probably, a pretty long game. It's probably, it's probably close to a 50-hour game, and if it's 50 hours for me, it'd probably have been 80 hours for you. Except you can't. there's not that much grinding or anything to do in that game, and I'm sure that's why you loved it. I know. The enemies level up with you. They're actually, they don't even... No, I don't think they do that. No, you, you don't just, really level. You have level up by the bosses, is what it is. You level up by the each boss that you fight, like unlocks like a new, t an extra tier of stat progression. And otherwise, you only get like really minimal gains from random battles. Like you get a random plus two to something. Yeah, and I think those do eventually stop. Yeah, I think they stop. Period. So yeah. that's why maybe that's one reason I like the game so much. I think it is. But I played it originally. I got it close to when it came out originally. 
uh, back in 2000. And that was actually before I had a chance to play Chrono Trigger because it hadn't come out yet with uh, Final Fantasy Chronicles. And I ended up going back to Chrono Cross because I couldn't really get into it the first time because a lot of the characters, since there's like 43 characters or something ridiculous, there's not a lot of great backstory with several of the characters. Like, I remember one of the dudes is just like a random uh, Lucha Libre wrestler that wears a mask and you got a... A dude that's like a rock star, like a basically looks like a Kiss character that just plays guitar, and there's not a lot of deep backstory for some of them, but some of them are really cool and have. Um, there's some. A lot of people got mad that there wasn't many connections to to Chrono Trigger, but if you actually dig deep down to the story, there's um, a lot of connections with Chrono Trigger, and it's actually um, a pretty dark story, and uh, they explain a lot of things and kind of what's happening with the. Uh, with time itself and Chrono Trigger and what happened to the party members, you actually um, get to meet like several versions of them, but kind of getting off topic here. So Chrono Cross <laughs> as a whole, what it is basically, you're a character named Surge, and toward the beginning of the game, correct me if I'm wrong, but you die like right at the beginning, right? Um, yeah, in that first dungeon at the end of it? Yeah. I don't remember how it happens, though. Well, I think at the very beginning, you, like, go through a dungeon. You start, actually, like, midway through the game. They throw you in, and you see, yeah, basically, the character right. dying. And then you go back to your original hometown. It was, like, a look, place like a dream sequence or something. You wake up, and then you go through the game. And I want to say, like, towards the beginning, it's a little foggy on me. Do you, like, drown right away? And then you fall into, like, an alternate reality? Yeah, like some Kingdom Hearts bullshit. Except it's actually explained well instead of like Kingdom Hearts. So basically, you end up in this alternate reality that's the same... It's the same exact same world you're in, but in that world, you died when you were like eight years old, so all the, the people are different, and obviously they don't know you since you're, I don't know, like 16 or 18 at the, at the time of the game going on here. And it's like you're dropped into a a parallel universe or something where you died at, like, the age of eight. Yeah, that's right. So it, it's less about, like, going to different time periods. It's more just going between different dimensions and, and different, like you said, alternate dimensions of, of how life is in the same area that you've been exploring. Yeah, exactly. It's just how things played out different when one small thing, like, in this dimension... Um, you died out. You died when you were eight. So there's different characters in the town. Like their, uh, your girlfriend at the time or love interest is obviously not too interested in you or doesn't believe it's you when you go back when you died. You know, several years earlier. And it's just a lot of interesting. It was a, a cool dynamic that I don't think any RPGs done since then. As far as playing off two different worlds, except they're actually parallel worlds with subtle differences versus, like, a light and a dark world like Zelda or something like that. Yeah, not any that I can think of off the top of my head. And there's, yeah. like, a huge... Uh, I was going to say, halfway through the game, there's basically... The tail gets turned on its head, and I won't spoil anything, but... Um, it, it goes back to that flashback where it looks like the main character or one of the main characters is killed there, and there's just... A lot going on story-wise, and um, you get a, basically, I mean, there's huge theory videos on what happened to the characters in Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, because 
at the end of the day, it's actually like a story based on Shala and like Magus and the the ancient kingdom of Zeal, which is like super deep in the Chrono Trigger and Cross lore. So I won't get into that, but there's it seems like a standalone game, but there's a lot of connections with Chrono Trigger too. Yeah, I actually I actually thought you were a little bit more disappointed with the sequel than you actually seem to be nowadays. Yeah, I've actually um I didn't beat it until 2007 when I was in college. But I was definitely disappointed with it for a while cuz it was almost like a Final Fantasy 9 for a while where I would it was at constant stop and starts and until I actually sat down and tried to really uh, pay attention to it and had a lot of time to commit to it and realized that there's actually... I think I was just playing it there for a while just to look for connections, and then I actually, you know, started enjoying the game for what it is on its own, and then ended up kind of just finding out the connections. And just playing it at first, just wanting it to be a straight-up sequel to Chrono Cross, which it is, but it's not. It's more of a standalone thing with a, a few strands connected. But which then is actually you, okay, because... It doesn't yeah. taint anything that you remember from the first game. Exactly, and I mean, and for the people that actually look and do the side quest and um, dive deep into it, because, like, the main party from the first game from Chrono Trigger is not in it, but there's a lot of of side characters and, and people you meet along the way that are in it that connect things, and it really, you have to think to get the connections, and once I actually did that and kind of explored around the internet on what was happening on the stories I was going through it, like, I really appreciated what they did. So, you know what I appreciated? That combat system is something else. Yeah, that was line up. really unique. Uh, you have a stamina bar, and then you have, like, a light, medium, and heavy attack, and there's a better percentage to hit the light one, obviously. But if you connect, then you have a better shot of hitting the next attack, so... You basically want to go light, medium, heavy, and then use a magic attack for your, you know, because you have seven bars, and it does one, two, and three, and then you can go into the negatives, and it probably sounds really deep, but if you actually look at it on the screen, it's pretty simple. Yeah, the way you're describing it is actually confusing me, and I know exactly how it works. <laughs> nice! And I'll, I'll let you explain yeah. it then. Well, this is my favorite part about our RPGs, kind of figuring out the, the intricacies of a combat system. But like Buck said, you use your use your attacks and you build up, I don't remember exactly what they're called, but let's just call them like levels. And throughout the game, when you're leveling up, you unlock new levels in this kind of, this tabular magic system. Think of it kind of like an Excel spreadsheet a little bit, which I know sounds lame, but it'll get cool eventually. <laughs> and these different levels... Uh, actually, no, think of it more like the magic system from the earlier Final Fantasy games, where you have like eight levels of magic and each one's stronger than the last. But what you can do is you can take spells, powerful or weak, and put them on different slots in this kind of magic grid. And depending upon where you put it, if you put like a weak, like fire spell in the seventh level, like the far level, it'll be like a fireball, like plus seven as opposed to just putting it in the first level and it costing one point, it'll just be a regular fireball. But you've also got more powerful magic that you can kind of build up to and use as well. And then what also happens is when you use magic, it has this, this element system where each element that gets used kind of gets tallied up. And if you use consecutive, like, let's say, fire or water attacks, your the water element will be strengthened in the battle. So you can use that as a strategy 
strategy if you're fighting like a fire foe, use a lot of water magic. It'll keep making the water magic more powerful and make it a little bit easier to take them down. Yeah, so there's like a field grid with, with three fields, and if you get all use three attacks of the same type and make all three fields the same color, like you use three electric attacks in a row, then the whole field will turn electric, and then electric attacks will be buffed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of strategy to it, even, even more than we really described there. But my favorite thing was always just trying to figure out all these these magic spells that you've gotten throughout the game, how to strategically place them on all your different... Well, I think you'd have three characters in combat at one time, how to place those strategically enough to kind of customize them, but also have the advantage in battle later. And then they would also had too, they still brought back from Chrono Trigger, you could do like double and triple techs where your team members could team up, which is always a cool addition in any RPG. Yeah, I didn't remember that so much. Is that only for, like, your character's special moves and not the spells, or do they also combine the spells? They can combine the spells, too, but it can only be certain characters. Okay. I didn't remember that. I, and that's also one of the things. There's so many characters in this game. You could actually go through the game and probably not see any of those. Oh, you you definitely could, because I think I actually did go through and not see any of them until I actually had to search for them on the Internet and figure out how to unlock a lot of them. It wasn't like Chrono Trigger where they just give them to you. Yes, they're well, they're very obvious, and you also only have was it six characters? So I mean, chances were pretty high. Yeah. So. But yeah, the combat system was good. I remember the graphics were pretty stellar for the time. Super colorful and really detailed backgrounds. The music was classic SquareSoft. The music the was one of the best parts. I mean, the music just like Chrono Trigger, the music is super good. The contract, contract, <laughs> the soundtrack still holds up really well today. It's one of them that I can still go back and listen to. Yeah, like you said, the uh, the graphics are really good. The pre-rendered backgrounds and everything that I love from those PS1-era RPGs um, hold up extremely well. The character sprites, obviously, not as much, but it still, I mean, still looks better than 99% of PS1 RPGs, I'd say. It was one of the later entries, and they took full advantage of it. Oh, yeah, the... The production values were pretty obvious there. They could not mess that game up, and it's unfortunate that in a lot of fans' eyes that they did mess it up. But I think it's actually probably much better that they didn't attempt to make a Chrono Trigger 2 if they weren't ready for it. I don't know if we'll ever see one. I know you're looking forward to it if they ever do, but at the point that Square Enix is right now, I don't really want them to try no, I'm fine with them not doing it. And with a lot of things that they dropped, you know, they can always retcon anything with a lot of what they dropped in Chrono Cross. They basically killed off the entire cast of Chrono Trigger, so. Lame, but it could have been an alternate dimension. The Chrono Trigger didn't actually exist in. Yeah, exactly. You we could, don't know. They can do plenty of things with that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, this Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross lore is not unlike just like the Marvel Universe, they can do whatever the hell they want with it. Exactly, because there's time travel involved in different yeah. dimensions, so you can kill off anyone you want, and they can come back as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Definitely two very cool games. I was actually surprised to see that high up your list, but I'm glad it is. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think it'd be on your list. I thought there was a small shot, but yeah, I definitely um, adore that game and would come back to it because I think it's one that would still hold up well today. And I mean, the review scores at the time were off the charts too. Oh, no, absolutely. Nines and tens, well, so it's a shame that people just throw so much shade at it these days. Well, one thing I had to consider when I was making my list, I was like, 
I don't feel right putting a game on my top five of, of something list if I didn't actually finish it. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously, it's not as good as the 20 other ones I did finish, <laughs> at least to me. It, it's probably – a it. I would say it's pretty obviously a better game than probably Parasite Eve and Kodelka are as far as just RPGs and games go in general, and as much budget as probably went into it. But it wasn't what I wanted to play and what I what I wanted to finish. And I, these are... Parasite Eve and Kodelka especially, it may just be because they're shorter, but it's also because I just like the gameplay in general. They're ones that I actually go back to and play. Yeah, I mean, they have to... A game has to hit you right. I mean, if I didn't like Chrono Trigger so much, I wouldn't have actually kept exploring and kept at Chrono Cross for as long as I did, so I kind of understand why some people don't necessarily... Probably, I think a lot of the haters don't stick with it long enough to actually give it a fair shake. And with the start and everything, it does start kind of slow, and a lot of the characters aren't the greatest, so I can understand until you get into the meat of the story and everything why people might abandon it. But definitely um, give it a fair shake, give it a shot, and I think if you... I mean, I think you'll like it. All right, well, we'll go into my next one, number two. Internet, I'm sorry, but you knew it was coming. <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, my favorite Final Fantasy game on the PS1. Definitely, obviously, better than nine. Seven, seven is is right there with it, but Final Fantasy VIII is my favorite. It was the first Final Fantasy game I ever played through, which could be part of it. Yeah, because you actually got seven, eight the same time. I remember that you played eight first. I did. I, I played seven first or eight first, sorry. And I remember. I think at that time you were. You may have been playing seven at that oh, point. Oh, I was. Yeah, I was. Um, I think I'd either just beaten seven or was playing seven, one of the two. Yeah, so I, I immediately could, I was like a, a hater of eight, even though I hadn't played it at the time. I understand. You saw me and enjoying it, and you were jealous. Even though seven was a like, fantastic. How could you not be playing seven? Right. Well, that's what everybody says, always, regardless to this day. But Final Fantasy eight. The, the groundbreaking moment for me, and it's, it's very, it's very simple, but I knew immediately when you get out of kind of like the, the opening area, area out of Balam Garden where your characters are kind of getting trained and all that stuff, you, you go out into the world map for the first time, and I remember, you know, fighting a couple of those just flying bugs, no big deal, and I summon my first guardian force, and I'm probably gonna botch the pronunciation, is it Quetzalcoatl? Quesicotl, something like that? The Thunderbird? Quesicotl? Quesicotl? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I'll go with that. Yeah, good enough. But I just remember summoning it and just seeing how cool the, the cinematic for it was. And then just realizing, I was like, wait, I can do this as much as I want every battle. And I, and then I, and I used some of the other ones. I used Shiva and Ifrit early on in the game. I was just like, oh my god, this game is beautiful. And then... I mean, it, it still is, too. No, it, it absolutely is. And it, it has kind of like a more realistic look than Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy IX do. And and I still think it holds up outside of the character models. I don't love those. <laughs> not, <laughs> they're a little not, jaggy. Yeah, they're a little jaggy. They're not great, especially up close. It's weird. But Final Fantasy VIII, I think, gets a lot of bad rap for being kind of a convoluted story that's not very focused, but it, it's I think, also... I think yep. it has a better story than than 7 or 9, arguably. 
I think it has a much more relatable story than Seven and Nine do. It, the, the issue is there's just a lot of convolution there, especially like you know with the the different realities that you or like the dream is it like the dream world or whatever where you're yeah, I mean, that's actually Laguna my my like favorite, favorite part of it is that crew. I really like that crew, Laguna and the other two dudes that I don't remember their names. Warden, who's the guy with the his blades on his arm. Yes. Pedos or something. I don't know. But, yeah, those guys were much more charismatic, and that little love story uh, was very interesting. And it was actually, it, it broke up the pace of the main game very nicely. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII, a lot of people say they, they don't, like, love the characters or anything like that. I actually like Squall. I like Renoa. I even like Zell, who a lot of people find super <laughs> annoying. He's just this hyperactive dude who's... Young Chuck was Zell. I mean, yeah. they were the same person. They, it's very true. Yeah. Kind of like my idol, as strangely as strange as it was. I liked him more than I liked Squall. Squall's more for the ladies. He's such a... He doesn't talk. He's he's emo. He, he was doesn't like, care about anything. Yeah, I mean, he was... Um, Basically, Twilight before it was cool. Yeah, it, it, and it's still cooler than Twilight. <laughs> That's for sure. For all intents and purposes. But I actually liked a lot of the characters. I liked a lot of the scenarios. The game was very science fiction-based, much much more than, than the fantasy uh, scenarios of, of Nine. So I think it took, I don't know, it's hard. To, I don't want to compare it to Seven because they're very different games. No, they are, but it kind of took the um, a little bit of not seven's more steampunk scenery. I mean, they took it more into like um, a school kind of atmosphere, but it is it feels like the same kind of world that seven was in, uh, more so than just like the super fantasy based world of like nine or you know six or or maybe six was even a little bit steampunk, but like nine or five or the Final Fantasies before that. Well, I mean, I was thinking about I was, I was going to say that I was like seven's only steampunk at the beginning, really. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, Shinra there, too. I mean, just everything about it is kind of steampunk-ish. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's not the it's not the overall kind of mood of it throughout the whole game. It's, it's, it's like a third of it, if you will. But, obviously, we both think Eighth Story is very interesting. But, as a lot of people have probably already noticed... I don't remember a lot of the story that gets placed into these games because it's not the driving force of why I like RPGs. I like the the, the battle mechanics, the, the character customization, things like that. So the story kind of goes over my head a lot, and I kind of ignore it. I'm more uh, the story guy, yeah. the two of us, for sure. Yeah, as you can tell, he knows he knows his, his talking swords from his... <laughs> Etherias or whatever. So yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't do that. I, I'm lucky if I know the, the name of the protagonist at this point. <laughs> but but Ace Combat System, actually, the combat system itself, fairly standard for a Final Fantasy game. You know, three characters on your team. You pick from eight, eight different characters, I want to say. Uh, and, the, and the big thing is the Guardian Forces, which are basically like the summons or the Aeons from the other games where you can equip them on your characters and they're and these G, these guardian forces are what allows your characters to obviously summon them into battle to do tremendous damage, but they also give you the ability to customize your character because as you're going through the game, they gain I think it's BP or ability points I can't remember, but you you apply those to different skills and it allows you to junction uh, different magic spells to different stats on your character to kind of bolster your abilities and it also gives you other abilities like you know like mug or 
allows you to try to think what else does it do? It, it gives you all kinds of special abilities. You can like refine magic and, and different cards and things like that, but we'll, I'll get into that in a bit. But Final Fantasy VIII, of, of all the Final Fantasies I've played, is probably the most customizable as far as it comes to your characters and the, and the combat itself, which I know a lot of people hate the game for that because it's easily probably the most broken RPG that has ever been produced. I'd say so. Yeah, you can manipulate the system very easily, which I actually love because I didn't have to grind a lot because the characters actually are the enemies level up with you and... For your magic, you actually draw it out of points, which is a very weird system. But I mean, and you draw it out of enemies. That's true too. I forgot about that. Yeah, I have no qualms with it. I mean, I, I actually was... do. I have one qualm with it, and it's not the fact that you draw magic. It, it's it's kind of tedious. But don't get us wrong; it's kind of tedious. I'd rather just kind of have like a spell that I equip on my character. But the problem with the draw system is that you can hold up to 100 spells, and you use these to junction onto your statistics. The problem is, if you have a junction to a statistic and you use the spell in magic, it lowers the amount of, you know, that spell that you have drawn, so it lowers your stats. So the game de-incentivizes you from using your magic, which I find frustrating. Yeah, and I mean, the option, the other option besides using magic is using your guardian forces, and obviously the big problem with that is you can't skip the cutscenes, and they're freaking epic and really cool, but some of them take, you know, three to five minutes at a time. Okay, well, that there's only one that takes anywhere near that long. Let me just put it out there. Most of them only take 20 to 30 seconds. Well, it seems like three to five minutes sometimes, <laughs> and I, I love a, I, uh, you know, beat the game to death, beat the ultimate weapons and everything, but... If they had an ability to skip those Guardian Force animations, that would be awesome. You know why they don't do that? Because you got to boost them. But <laughs> but I agree. I agree. I think it's uh it's a little much. Uh, back in back when I played it, I never minded it. But now that I don't have unlimited time, I'm sure that it would bother me. Because you you will see them if if you decide to leverage them a lot in combat, which you will because they're super powerful and make most uh, random encounters pretty much null and void. You use one of them and all the enemies are dead pretty much. And there's no drawbacks in using these either. It's not like it's going to, you know, take hurt your character or something, throw a Guardian Force out there. It's like you may as well keep spamming it. Yeah, the only thing that it, that it hurts is when you summon it, you, ha- you kind of have to have like a reverse action bar where you kind of have to take some time to summon it, which depending upon how much you use one, that bar will get quicker because your guardian force will love you more. But also that, and when you're, when you're summoning them, your guardian force takes hits for your characters, which is another thing that makes the game easier. So when you're summoning them, the guardian force takes damage, but your guardian forces can be killed. So they can be, but they're usually pretty buff. Yeah, no, it's pretty infrequent. Like, it, that'll really only happen probably during bosses and only if you're not paying attention. So the game's very broken, and if, if you know what you're doing, which I didn't know what I was doing the first time I played it, but if you know what you're doing, you can pretty much have, like, all of the ultimate weapons on the first disc and have probably pretty close to maxed out stats with the right, you know, magic junction, which I actually think is pretty cool. I don't mind that. I think any game that kind of lets you dictate how you want to play it, be it challenge yourself or just make it super easy, that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I obviously can't forget to mention Triple Triad 
the amazing card game that Final Fantasy VIII offers everyone. I mean, that should be like a physical card game because I would play that game. It is a physical card game. Well, good lord, <laughs> where is it at? Is it out in the states? <laughs> I actually don't know if it's out in the states, but you can. It's not hard to find on eBay. Well, I know that. Playing this right now, I don't know. Well, they also they also have a uh, an i they have um, on the Final Fantasy Portal. It's kind of like the app on iOS devices. There's a triple triad game on there that has cards from eight, and then it has other cards from all the other games in the series. Like it's created cards. There's like I don't know. Five, six hundred cards. It's pretty oh, fun. Nice. Yeah, I like that game. In Final Fantasy VIII, Triple Triad has a lot of different applications. It's a it's a mini game that persists throughout the whole game. And it gets it gets more and more rewarding, but you don't have to play it. So if you don't like the idea of playing a collectible card game while you're playing your RPG, you can totally ignore it. If you just like playing the card game, you can challenge different you know, NPCs around the world. Most uh, everybody, from what I remember. It's, well, it's not everybody, but I would say probably, like, every other or every third NPC you can challenge. A lot of them don't have any, like, cards that are really worth anything. But there are some subquests that are tied to it uh, that allow you to uh, play special characters for a lot of good cards. There's a lot of them to collect, and there's a lot of side quests in the game that aren't even related to the card game that you can you can perform to actually get some of the other cards too. Uh, a lot of those are the Guardian Force and the the actual like main character cards. But the other cool thing that comes with it is the cards actually have a function within the actual combat of the game, and that is uh, the cards that you can get can all be refined into different like materials, and these materials allow you to even more so break the game, be able to get very, very powerful items very early in the game. So it helps you make ultimate weapons. It gives you items that can make your characters invincible for like a short period of time, things like that. So even if you're not interested in the actual card collecting mechanic, there are benefits to getting those cards and refining them. And some, and some of the rarest items in the game to teach your GS their strongest abilities, refining cards is the only way you can do it. Yeah, and like you said, it's super fun, so it's like a win-win. Yeah, I mean, it's just a nice distraction from... I mean, RPGs tend to get kind of repetitive after a while, so anything that can that is enjoyable and kind of you know, lets you concentrate on something else for a bit, hey, I'm down for it. I think the only frustrating thing, I don't know if you remember, is, is playing the card game, and then you spread rules throughout the world. Do you remember that? Like, you play certain people in different regions, and they apply different rules, and those rules get spread... Like like hepatitis around the world, and it's frustrating. <laughs> I like, don't remember that. Like some of, some of these rules just make the game very very difficult and very very hard to win, and that can that can be frustrating. I don't think I put as many hours into the card game as you did, though. So I don't think you put nearly as much time into the game as I did. Because I, I, I did beat the game, and I did like take down the Ultima weapons. So Ultima and Omega, or just Ultima? <sighs> I think just Ultima. I don't think That's it's right. Omega. That's right. Omega's frustrating. He's got like 2 million HP. He's a he's a madhouse. Um, no, I played it for like 200 hours. On... Well, you definitely got me beat there, but did you ever actually... Yeah, I guess you did beat it. Just I, did, I, I, I did beat it. And uh, I think I that was one of the ones that I had to play through again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I think the first time I played it, I 
that's a different conversation. I lost my first files like 120 hours in my replay. <laughs> I don't think I ever did everything again like I did on that first file, but I played through the game again. But Final Fantasy VIII, interesting characters, definitely a different kind of atmosphere than the rest of the Final Fantasy games. I'd argue it has the best soundtrack in the series. That may just be me. Shout out to Fisherman's Horizon. It's a fabulous <laughs> tune. I don't know if I have too much more to say about that. And Final Fantasy VIII is a, is a phenomenal game. I wish it didn't get as much shade as it does these days. I don't know why, unless Square Enix is planning on actually remastering it or something, they're not porting it to the Switch with everything else. I'm hoping, I'm just holding that hope that's the reason. That is really weird, because I can't think of a good reason otherwise. It's not like it's a, it is a black sheep a little bit, but it's not like Final Fantasy II that's just, you know, just straight up garbage. It's still printing money. That it's still printing the money. No, for sure, yeah. Tons I mean, of I, people who love Final Fantasy, and I just, yeah, I can't fathom why they just skipped over that one. It just, it doesn't make me think that they have something planned. And as long as they don't make it into an action RPG, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, to me, I mean, I'm, we're getting on to my number one here in a second. To me, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII are like one, one A and one B, basically. I mean, I kind of interchange both of them. I love both of them. Yes, we actually ended up deciding which ones we were going to take before the podcast. Because <laughs> they are beloved games to both of them, and we were like, I don't know if I can pick which one I like more than the other. So it came of, I'll take seven, you take eight, basically, and that's what happened. That's right. So I guess I'll transition over to my number one then. and um, Shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that's played RPGs in general or just got their um, unofficial huge start into the the heroine that is RPGs, and that'd be Final Fantasy VII. And I remember at the time, coming out in 97, I was um, reading all the game magazines at my local Kmart and other newsstands, and it was literally on the cover of probably pretty much every game magazine at the time. I can't think of a, a game that has been more hyped than that one. No, I mean, it had commercials playing during everything on TV. Before that, there was no RPG that even had commercials on TV. I mean, they would show zero gameplay footage, just straight-up FMVs of, like, Sephiroth taking Genova off that, the little cords or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was, they made everything look freaking epic. At the time, um, 97, I ran it right after it came out. I didn't even have a, uh, a memory card at the time for my PlayStation, so I just rented it and played it for several hours and then ended up uh, just turning it off and lost everything and took it back. But yeah, it was um, probably one, it was the main reason I actually bought a memory card because before that I just played like a lot of games that didn't need them, didn't have like hardly any RPGs. Basically on my PlayStation had, you know, Crash Bandicoot, Mega Man X4, some wrestling games. So nothing I really needed a memory card for. But yeah, 7 was a good enough reason to bite the bullet for that $20 at the time and go ahead and realize I need to save some because this game was going to take a while. Yeah, and I, th I believe at that time, obviously this game was being hyped beyond belief, but I think Sony was willing to put just a ton of money into the advertising for this game because at the time the Final Fantasy VII came out, I think it was actually the most expensive game ever made. Oh, I'd say it had to be with all the all the FMV sequences and everything, and it being three discs and as long as it was, and and all the advertisement. I bet that, all the that got factored in. I'd say you're probably right. And I remember like 
I didn't even really know what it was, even after reading it through all the magazines and everything. And I thought being a 10-year-old buck, I thought the characters looked amazing. You know, spiky-haired anime-looking dudes, which I still think they look really cool, by the way. But um, I ended up buying, like, I remember the old action figures that they had, like, at Babbage's at the time. They were, like, import figures. He sold for, like, 10 bucks there. I was like, I gotta have Cloud. He looks so freaking cool, even though I don't understand the game or know what it is. 10 bucks? That's not bad for an import action figure. No, not at all. Or was it an action figure? It was, it was like, an, it was an action figure because, I mean, I think the, the arms didn't really move much. They moved um, just straight up, up and down. They were, like, locked in a position, so it was a straightened arm that moved up and down. I don't think that was Cloud it. could... Flex his arm anyway, regardless. That's true. He's not exactly ripped. So the some of the biceps on that guy and that sword he was wielding, he got a fucking metal rod inserted into his arm. He <laughs> had to do something. But yeah, my gosh, the time the game was just ridiculously. It was an event. Playing it the first time, like it just it blew my mind. Everything you could do, the materia system, the story, the super emo characters. Everything was just on point. Something else. that, And the way that it, I want to say, de- defied expectations just throughout the story and kind of just what anybody had known an RPG to be at that point. This was the turning point into 3D role-playing games. No one yeah, knew what sure. you expected, and Square knew what we needed. And, like, no one expected to see, you know, obviously, Aerith getting killed off in the middle of it because, I mean, she was basically my go-to character at the time. She was on my team the whole time, and I hadn't read a bunch of spoilers at the point when it happened. I was like, this can't be real. What do I do to to get her back? This is crap. But, I mean, yeah, that stuff, I mean, obviously it's a trope now. and But back then it was epic, and it really stuck with you. And it basically seven created the entire genre of the, the mopey emo protagonist, for better or worse. Yeah, they, well, seven had two of them. Which was pretty incredible. I mean... Vincent. Oh, okay. Well, I was going like, Sephiroth was like a mopey evil, you know, antagonist too, so... Oh, yeah, that's true. They were... They weren't polar opposites by any means. No, they weren't. I mean, Zack was actually really cool, but they just killed him, so... Yeah, well, at that point, you just didn't really know anything about Zack. Zack really wasn't super cool until Crisis Core came out. That's a good point. They just made him epic then. But yeah, I mean, 7, the material system was really good. I mean, it gave a lot of customization there and could allow you to pretty much break the game. I mean, it was definitely harder than 8 to do. It took some more effort. It took more grinding to break because it, yeah. it, it did kind of, it didn't feed you overpowered equipment and stuff as easily. There weren't as many avenues for acquisition. But yeah, the materia system allowed for some crazy customization that could allow you to obviously kill any of the super bosses in one hit or anything like that if you knew what you were doing and you put the time in. And then the, the golden saucer for all the games and everything, the chocobo racing, um, trying to get the knights of the round materia, the ridiculous quest you had to go through to get the, was it the golden chocobo to get that? And Oh yeah. I did that. There's an easier way to do it now. Don't don't do all the don't do all the racing and the breeding, guys. You just have to do the breeding. <laughs> there's a, there's some there's some YouTube's. Well, I did it that way too. The first time I did it, it took forever. It's frustrating. Like Buck was saying, Final Fantasy VII, just the amount of mini games and just like side attractions was 
really cool, and the game was... I would say the game's actually probably the most cinematic of any of the of the three games on the the PS1. And and, and I, I say that in the way that the cinematics gelled very well with what was happening on screen. It would transition kind of from an action sequence as you're playing straight into the cutscene in kind of a very cool way. Yeah, they didn't just put in, uh, some games afterwards just put in cinematics. It felt like for the sake of putting in cinematics, everything in 7 was done for a reason and was super well put together. I was thinking earlier today, I was thinking about 7, I was like, what don't I like about that game? I mean, there's there's not a lot. I mean, if you're going through kind of oblivious, you can miss side characters, which can be annoying. Yeah, you can... It, is you, uh, you can miss and Vincent Yuffie the only two? Exactly. Yeah, you can miss Yuffie and you can miss Vincent if you're not paying attention. Yuffie especially would be really easy to miss, I would think. Well, Vincent too, if you're not paying attention to the the clues and everything, uh, basically unlock his coffin. Oh, I'm paying attention. <laughs> he's, my, he's, he's my favorite character, but I think that that's like I think that's what everybody says now. If you don't, if, if Klaus not your favorite, then Vincent's your favorite. And I think yep. I think you're you're a Sid and a Red Thirteen man, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I mean, Sid was on my team. No, my main team was uh, Cloud, Tifa, and Sid. I don't believe you. That's not what I said. Unfortunately, Red Thirteen didn't quite make the uh, cut there. Kate Sid. Well, Kate Sid was not cool. He wasn't anybody's boy. Yeah, that maybe maybe that's something about Seven I didn't like. Kate Sid was meh. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. But no, I mean, they did everything. It was, I mean, I don't feel like there's just a lot we can say about it because everyone kind of knows about it. has heard everyone talk about it because just look at anybody that has any kind of gaming podcast, YouTube, anything. Usually Seven was a, just a huge inspiration to most of them. And I mean, I don't – I do – I mean, I do love Seven. It's not like one of my absolute – favorite games of all time. I was surprised that none of these games on the PlayStation RPG list probably would actually make my top ten, which surprised me a little bit. But yeah, seven take those a, nostalgia glasses off. I need, need to or don't need to? Which one you, did you say? Oh, you just needed to, and then you, oh, you yeah. realized that. Yeah, I did. I was like, man, seven is amazing, but I don't think it would definitely be in the top 20, and I don't think it could crack the top ten, which is kind of crazy. I don't know. Like, Seven's, seven, in my eyes, is a pretty perfect game. It, oh, it still, is. It's yeah. still, to this day, what what draws me at most, the, the combat system. And I love the Materia system. It, it's actually probably top three favorite character customization system in any RPG I've ever played. I just love the different combinations and just the surprising results you can get. I don't think any other game has... I think Don't know where the weakest I'm going with point that. to me might actually be the, the characters themselves, but I mean, even the story as a whole is really good, but I'm not a huge fan of any one character in Seven. That might be the one thing that holds it back a little bit. I'm just not a fan of the mopey emo, you know, hero trope that Cloud kind of brought to the world, but he does look cool with a huge buster sword, so you gotta give him that. He, he did make that cool. <laughs> he did make that cool. Which is a trope that I don't hate. No, I don't either. I like I like big swords in my RPGs. I'm not going to deny that. 
No, definitely looks cool. Although I do think the Gunblade looks cooler. Well, the Gunblade is awesome. Why hasn't <laughs> that been in any other games? Exactly. Like, does like Square have like a copyright on it or something? Yeah, why can't they throw a, a Gunblade in some random shooter? I mean, that'd be pretty cool. They kind of well, threw oh, it in oh, Monster Hunter World. Devil May Cry 4. It has a Gunblade? Nero's gun, uh, sword is basically a Gunblade. You can re- rev it up. Oh, okay, I got you. <laughs> Somewhat. But no, I agree with you. I'm, su- I'm surprised they didn't put it in Monster Hunter. I don't I know. Maybe they're... Gun Lance, so that's kind of close. <laughs> Not really. Not really at all. Work with me here. I am trying. I'm trying. <laughs> but no, I mean, 7 overall is, a, is an amazing game. I feel like probably anyone listening to this podcast is a good shot. They played 7 before, and you know what we're talking about, but... Yeah, I mean, even when, like, Advent Children came out and everything, I was ridiculously hyped for it. And, yeah, everyone should just pick up 7 Play It. It still holds up today. I played it um, not super long ago on, uh, actually, I have it downloaded on PSP and PS3 besides the original version. So, I mean, it still sucked me in the last time I booted up and I ended up playing several hours into it. So, good game, still holds up. Play it, people. All right, well, my number one, I know that's not going to surprise you. No. Probably surprise a lot of people, but I don't. I think if anybody looks at a, a list of PS1 games, this uh, PS1 RPGs, this game is usually on that list, even though it's a forgotten RPG series. It is sure. a PS1 classic, too. They already announced it's coming to that. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they did, and that is the original Wild Arms. It's actually, and you can find it on the PlayStation Network now, also one of those $5.99 deals. But Wild Arms was actually the very first game I popped into my PlayStation. For Christmas that year, I got my PlayStation, and I got Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, Wild Arms, and Jade Cocoon, which Jade Cocoon did not make it on this list, but (laughs) the rest of them pretty much did. Wild Arms is very near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons, as far as an RPG goes, and as far as like kind of a, a relatively simple RPG goes, I think it's pretty much perfect. And it's, it's pretty much perfect to how I like my RPGs built outside of the fact that there's not a ton of character customization. But it may just be like my vacation from that, since that's what I normally like in my games. It's kind of my easy sit down, my RPG that I revisit a lot. There's no RPG that I've played through as many times as I have this one, I've probably played through it four or five times. Yeah, that's impressive. Especially yeah. for a game, I assume it only has one ending? It does only have one ending. So you and like play Chrono Trigger is a new game plus game, so you can just take your characters through and they're already super leveled up. And Wild Arms, you're starting fresh every time. Yeah, your new game, just again, just doing it again. <laughs> and I- I'm happy to do it. it. The game's about 30 to 40 hours. So it's not short, it's not super long. It's kind of the it's kind of the perfect length, I like to think, especially for more of a traditional RPG. But Wild Arms combines what is a truly unique aesthetic and world for an RPG, and that is kind of like a western sci-fi kind of vibe. And I think the western is probably not as prevalent as a lot of people seem to make it to think it is, but I mean you're kind of your characters are drifters, and they're kind of exploring the land, doing odd jobs for people in different towns, which is not uncommon for RPGs, but you're kind of just going through, like, wastelands and things like that. 
but you're yeah. also learning about all types of different like aliens that originally populated the world and a, a, a big war that was going on beforehand and that's why the world is in such disarray and why everybody most people are living living in such poverty with agriculture is is hard to come by it's it's hard for people to find enough food stuff like that yeah i mean the sci-fi there it's it's definitely more sci-fi than western they use the western more as um just a prop and more of a backdrop it the game is a whole lot more um cowboy bebop sci-fi western or sci-fi than like a, a john wayne western that's for sure yeah, I think they I think they lean on the western earlier in the game, kind of just kind of show where humble beginnings starts, kind of like they do for a lot of RPGs. You start off in that little village and go off on this big quest. And like you said, the world's kind of post-apocalyptic there too, so that kind of makes sense with the western vibe of just not a whole lot left. Yeah. Well, plus a lot of a lot of the characters are just wearing that kind of wild west attire. At least the main characters are. They're getting her done. They're getting her done, and so is the soundtrack. Mind you, <laughs> uh, the the opening cinematic of the game uh, tugs at the heartstrings, unlike probably any other RPG that I've played. Uh, the soundtrack is excellent. It's definitely got. I would say that's where a lot of the the Western vibe comes from. It. The music is kind of. I don't really know how to describe Western music, but it, it's pretty. It's pretty upbeat. I think it flows pretty well. I know that's like a generic way to describe music. Oh, it just flows well. It fits perfectly. <laughs> I know that's generic, but, you know, I don't know enough about music to really say anything else Let's other than it. the fact <laughs> I, I like it. I like it sounds it a lot. good. Yeah. So, and also another thing that I like about a lot of the Wild Arms games is the fact that you get, you play from the perspective of each one of the main protagonists from the beginning of the game separately. Kind of see their their story unfold until they all kind of like meet up in a central hub in wild arms. It's like the first major town you go through a dungeon with them and you get a bit of backstory on what their, what their character is going through at that part of their life. You have your princess who's she, she's going to be a princess. She's in this school for magic, but she doesn't want to be a princess. She kind of wants to become a drifter and go off in an adventure. So that's what she decides to do. You've got uh, Jack, who's kind of your your grizzled old swordsman mercenary who just loves searching for treasure and doing dumb stuff with his, his mouse handpan who keeps telling him that he's doing stupid shit, but he doesn't listen. <laughs> and then you got your main character, Rudy, who is, uh, he's a mute, so he's just your main protagonist. He does a lot of nice things for people, but he's kind of just there to be your main character. Basically, it's kind of your... It's kind of your average RPG progression, going from town to town, cave to cave, doing nice things for villages, all that good stuff. The combat is one of the, the things that I really like about it because it is it is turn-based in, in a way that I know earlier in the episode I described that I don't prefer. But it has kind of some unique aspects, be it each one of your characters definitely has a unique role in combat you have you have Rudy who's your main character he's just a damage dealer he uses melee attacks and he also has these weapons called arms which are wild arms game's name there you go but basically there are these powerful pieces of ancient technology that you find and they're basically like limited use magic for him he has ammo and you power those up throughout the game you put gold into them and upgrade like 
power accuracy, stuff like that. And then you also have, uh, Jack the mercenary. He has like this, this fast, these fast draw magic spells that he learns throughout the game. And then you have Cecilia, who she's the, uh, the ex-princess, if you will, and she's a, she's a mage that learns abilities as she goes to different places. But I kind of just like the simplicity of, you know, those roles. And then they also have this FP system, which you, you build up power throughout the battle performing actions and your party shares this FP gauge. And it allows each one of your characters to do one of four unique, powerful abilities, like take the first turn or upgrade Rudy's arms when he shoots it, make sure it's 100% accuracy. Or, I mean, even later in the game, you can take double actions or, you know, the, the princess can can summon creatures throughout the game, but she can use, like, a level four, and it'll it'll change the entire cinematic of it and, and make them a lot stronger. So there's a lot of cool character progression there that uh, you kind of just discover along the, the progress of the story as opposed to just leveling up and learning new abilities. You have to you have to earn it, you have to explore. I was gonna say, did you ever did you ever play much of the first one or did you only play the second one? I actually never did play the first one, period. I know you, well, if you like the second one, you're gonna like the first one. And I know you no, like the second, the second one, one was really cool. And the third one I played quite a bit of. So, third one's good. I have the fourth one still sealed. Just not as big a Wild Arms fan as you are. I can definitely appreciate it. I know the third one does have really good music, too. Yes, the third one is awesome. And, I like uh, all of them except the fourth one. Obviously, the puzzles in the dungeons are cool, too, and pretty unique. I didn't even get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so dungeons are interesting because they kind of have a sort of Zelda-esque puzzle system going on, because so throughout dungeons you will find different, what they call tools, and they'll be like bombs, or like a grappling hook, or something else that you put out fires with, or whatever. And you use these to solve puzzles throughout the dungeon, so in between combat you'll be, you'll be doing that, you'll unlock treasure, or unlock a door so you can make progress. And they combine those in fairly interesting and unique ways throughout the game, uh, to make dungeon progression fresh, as opposed to just kind of running through corridors and opening chests. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it keeps I, you on your toes there. I know um, some of them have actually, some of the puzzles have kind of annoyed me. They're they're much simpler in the first game. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And, and one thing I should state is, when you're playing the game on the world map, it's kind of like an overhead view. So it's not like it's not like a 3D view where like using like tools and things like that it would be it would be awkward to like aim it or anything like that. It's it's like a over the top Zelda kind of view. Yeah, it's like a 2D Zelda basically or yeah. a Lundra or anything like that. And then combat is just 3D turn-based combat with shitty graphics. That's true. <laughs> the, gra- the graphics are pretty horrid in combat, but over the years I've grown to adore them for whatever reason. Yeah, it's nostalgia. I mean, you can appreciate it. I get it, for sure. Yeah. It it doesn't bother me at all. I can see how someone who... Well, I mean, I have an issue with other PlayStation games. PlayStation didn't age gracefully. 3D graphics of that era. The PlayStation Saturn 64 era did not necessarily age gracefully. But they did uh, remake Alter Code F, which is a remake of the first one for PS2, right? Yes, they did, and it's an inferior version, but it's still a good game. Uh, I liked that one, but they they took away a lot of of the charm. 
that I, I felt that the first one had. And they did add some some cool new systems, and they added three additional characters, playable characters, which is cool. So, and those were characters that were already in the story, and for whatever reason, they decided to join you, which I think is cool. That's one no, of the that things. Is that is definitely cool. Yeah, I like that about it. It plays it plays more like three, a little bit. Except it doesn't have that cool combat where you're running around. Running constantly uh, for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty cool. One of my favorite things about the, the Wild Arms series, and it's pretty prevalent throughout the entirety of the series, is there's always a lot of side quests at the end of the game. Some optional dungeons, but definitely a lot of optional bosses that are very difficult to kill. And usually the whole point of it is you go out and you hunt these optional bosses and you get the ultimate weapons for all of your your characters. You can outfit your armor and stuff like that, which at that point, then you don't need it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, If you can beat all them, you don't really need it. You're, you're over-leveled to take the game down anyway. I, for whatever reason, it was, it was one of, it's one of the RPGs that I always, I kind of 100% complete pretty much every time I play it. It doesn't, it doesn't take like more than like five or ten extra hours to do that, so it doesn't bother me. It's not like a Final Fantasy game where a lot of the optional content is a grind fest. Yeah, it's, it's something else. It's not enjoyable and it doesn't just occur as you play the game. The only, the only thing that's even somewhat grindy in Wild Arms is, is I find that at certain points in the game I will, I will grind for gold. That way I can upgrade my arms as I see fit. But that's the only thing you need to grind. It's not a hard game. But it's very enjoyable and could very well be my favorite RPG of all time. It's it's probably you think it's in your top ten overall list? Uh, uh, all games, all time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah. I figured. Didn't yeah. know for sure, but I, I figured it's on there. I got I got a lot of love for that in Final Fantasy VIII. Eight may also be in there, but that's a that's a tougher sell. That's uh that's gonna be right on the cusp if nothing else. Absolutely. That's been a fun conversation. I'm yeah, sorry I surprised you so many long. times. <laughs> you well, I, I knew this would probably be the longest episode we had. Yeah, we had a lot to say about a lot of the games. I know you pretty much you knew a lot of mine coming into it. I think Chrono Cross surprised you a little bit, but I mean, we are just texting back and forth, and you basically texted me most of my list before I even said anything to you. Yeah, I know you tried to hide it, but it was impossible. <laughs> You're like, no, yeah. I know this. Yeah, you know, Chrono Cross actually didn't surprise me, but for whatever reason, when I go back and I think of classic PlayStation RPGs, it's not one that comes to mind. And like I said, I didn't remember you liking it as much. Because I don't actually think I've talked to you about it since you since played it. I really liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so, because yeah. before that is one of the games where you liked it more than I did. And yeah. I was kind of in the bandwagon with almost everyone else, like, ugh, give me a Chrono Trigger sequel, dang it. Bummer. <laughs> but no, it's definitely been a fun conversation. I learned a lot about Kodelka. <laughs> yeah, you did. Everybody did. Go get it. It's no, a classic. Definitely a virtual on me a couple times there, which is yeah. a new way to say surprise here on the podcast. This will probably be my high score. <laughs> if I can virtual on you, well, I like how that's just a thing now. Uh, <laughs> if I can virtual on you three times in an episode, yeah, that's my that's goal. But it's tough. Yeah, I may just be making up my list at that point. <laughs> Favorite RPG, Guardian Crusade. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> don't don't really like that game. 
<laughs> Me either. I do own it, but uh, what can you do? Not a great purchase. Yeah. So, Buck, where can everybody get a hold of us at? Uh, we're on Twitter at Buck Chuck Gaming. So definitely give us a follow there. Tweet us. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Let us know what your favorite RPGs from the PS1 era are. And uh, definitely drop us, you know, likes, comments. We appreciate any feedback. And um, they can also find us. You can um, follow us there on SoundCloud. And we're on the iTunes uh, iOS app store, right? Yes, we are. All right. Go directly to your podcast app and just find us. Yes, subscribe so it comes to your feed automatically and uh, give us a review. Five stars, we would appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, we appreciate all the feedback. And as always, I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And you've been listening to the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, guys.